Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to James, the fourth chapter. We're spending a little bit of time here on Sunday night, um, and I believe it's important for us to do, um, not only because I believe that Spirit of God was stirring my heart this way, but if we just look around us, the waters can really begin to get muddy. And as we've been sharing uh, about these things, we, the Message Bible says in Romans 12, 2, that we have to be careful to not just get into the flow of the world system. Now, I'm paraphrasing the message, but you can look it up. Not to get in the flow of the world system without even thinking about it, right? Uh, uh, King James says it, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so if it's possible to get caught up in the world system without even thinking about it, and we begin to work, look at the world system. And as uh, John wrote in his epistles, he said, listen, when you become a friend of the world, you become caught up in the world. You, be, you, you don't even realize it, but you begin to set yourself against God. You become an enemy of God. And this is why, because the whole world system is dictated by the prince of the power of the air. The whole world system runs off of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so it really runs off of our own personal desires. We get dictated to that. And really to understand that just a little bit better, uh, you know, James says this, we get in our, our quandary, we wonder why God, why these things, why are they happening to me? And generally we run into an odd conclusion since we have the word of God on it that this bad thing happened to me or I, I got involved in all this mess that I did because God was trying to teach me something and, and God was trying to test me and there are tests from God and there are situations that God demands our obedience and the enemy tries that and tests that but he said listen when when evil comes your way don't say that God is using evil to tempt you or test you but each one is drawn away by his own desires and enticed right so really when you have faith in God obedience pulls you in and draws you nearer to God and in Psalms 37 says this, it says, if we'll delight ourselves in the Lord, the Lord will give us the desires of our heart. There's a difference when he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Some people think, well, he'll just give me whatever I desire. No, your own desires lead you away from God. But the desires that God gives you will draw you nearer and really into God and God's plan for your life. And in God and in God's plan for your life is success... As God sets it up, there's protection, there's safety, there's strength to fulfill it. Being drawn away from God by your own desires, then you're left to your own strength, your own ability, and your own devices. And because of that, when we conquer something, we declare we're self-made. Look at me. Nobody helped me. Look what I've done. And really, that's a sad place to be in when you're self-made. Because you can only do and I can only do so much for ourselves, And at some point that comes to an end. But just laying out this understanding, it, it, we walk through it. Pride, a very destructive force, is so subtle. And it's just moving with the flow of this world. The moment that Adam disobeyed God and sold out to the devil, the very characteristic of the enemy right? He's a liar. He's the father of it. He's a deceiver. But he was also, as we looked at and Ezekiel said, that he was in all of his creation, he was created for perfection. He was created for beauty, but he got caught up in himself. 
And he got lifted up in pride and said, I will be better than God, and I'll lift my throne above that of the Most High God. And so he was cast down and he was cast out because it would have corrupted all that heaven has. And once you sell out to a prideful person, it's going to be very destructive. And so the world is under the course of this world dictated by that prideful being. And so we follow that example, but at the same time, what we don't understand is his pride to rule and control all humanity. He draws them in, but through that pride that that seems so subtle, he begins to take control of the direction of our life. And really, God wants us to humble ourselves so that God can be in control of the direction of our life. And if you just think carnally, you think, well, big deal. So I change one control for another. Well, absolutely. You change control of a deceiver and one that just seeks to control and drive your life into destruction because they have control to yield to the one who created you that desires to bring the fulfillment of that creation, right? It's not like one oppressive master to the other. It's falling out of slavery to sin, which brings death, and coming under the dominion of the king that brings life forevermore. The one who steals your joy and your peace and brings anxiety and stress. The one that takes away health and healing and brings sickness and death to the one who restores life in all facets and is the healer and the deliverer and the king, the one who, when he comes to live in your heart, brings love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness. What we can't understand is when we yield ourselves over to this, it seems to drive us, and we enjoy ourselves to the point that we see, oh my gosh, this is creating destruction. I wish I could change, but we find ourselves struggling to change. But we think, why doesn't this one just pull me in and make me? Because it's all about humbling yourself to him. It's all about that freedom of choice and determining that I will have to humble my heart to give my life to you. But to say I have my own thing, I'm doing my own stuff, only means that you fall subject to the rulership of the enemy. And it becomes incredibly, incredibly subtle in our lives. And if we don't get a hold of that, we will go the course of the world. And it's time, I believe, as as I've listened to more and more, I've prayed about what God is saying to us. He's saying it's time for us to rise up. It's time for the church to rise up. It's time for us to be influential. It's time for us to be recognized, right? And so all of a sudden, if you're recognized and you think, whoo, God's doing this, but you get over in pride, it'll go to destruction. You say, well, what's the difference? If God wants us to rise up, don't we have to see that we have to rise up? That's what we want to line out because if you humble yourself, God's going to exalt But when you're humble and God exalts you, everything is different than when you raise yourself up and the impact of that. So James, the fourth chapter, did you find James? I was just talking, thought you might take a little while to get there. James chapter four, verse one, it says, where do fights and wars come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss 
that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Now, listen, you could just take that. And, of course, we don't like the fact that it talks about murderers and wars and fights. But there's internal struggle going on in so many people. Why isn't it going my way? Why aren't things going right? Why can't I get what I want? Why do they get that and I don't get that? That comparison that goes on, there's just fights that are going on, certainly among people, among nations, about what we want, what we're going to get, how we're going to get power. But there's stuff going on 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 the inside of individuals trying to just get a happy life when really God's provided that happy life. We're like, I'm asking, right? Sometimes we don't even ask. We're just thinking it should come to us. We're entitled to it. But then we ask. But he says, you ask and you're frustrated about the fights. You're frustrated about the warring that's going on. He said, but listen, it's all about you. It's all about you being pleased. And it gets to be destructive when it's all about you. And he says, listen, when you seek to please me, I have everything that you have need of. It's an impossible thing to please God and then not be pleased yourself. It's a difficult connection because we have our needs and we have our wants and we have our desires and why can't God just take care of that? And God says there's just a place where all of that's met. And again, this terminology throws us off, but it's all met in him. It's not met out here in the world. It's not met. It may manifest out here, but it's all done in secret. It's all done in his presence. It's all done in the place of prayer. It's all worked out in our spirit. So when we come out of that place of being with him and we're changing, it begins to recognize out here. And not only is something coming from us, but because of what's coming from us, if it's Christ-like, it begins to attract people to us. When the spirit of God begins to work in us, life and joy and love and peace and strength to a higher measure than we've ever dreamed, people looking for that are going to be attracted to us. And if pride is found in us, when people come to us, we'll be lifted up in pride, which then will bring a fall and will affect those who have come for life. But when we humble ourselves, and God has done it, people will come to get life and they will receive the life of God, right? And so it's an incredible, powerful thing that we're looking at. Let's just read on. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he who gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud And he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. And now I know this is a dumb question because you all are here tonight. But just to think about, how many of you want God to resist you? (laughs) I mean, really. uh, But we want God to really embrace us and give us his power, give us his grace. And so if we, the devil subtly starts to take that from us because we don't know. And to understand that the Spirit of God in us is always saying, why? Why do you want the things that the world has to offer rather than me? I mean, really, it would just throw me for a loop. I just have to tell you, it would throw me for a loop if Tasha said, you know what? I love you. I love you. I like to come home on the weekends and hang out with you. 
But during the week, I got some other guys out there I just like to spend time with. I mean, they're a little bit more fun than you are. They're a little bit more exciting. But in all reality, you're my security, and you pay the bills. Wow. <laughs> right? It's a little bit more exciting to kind of sneak around every now and then, but come home and know the bills are paid. You're taking care of me financially. I'm just telling you, I would be saying, listen, I'm going to find these other guys. Right? Something's going to happen here. And this is what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit's saying, I purchased your life. And you come in, and you come into the church, and you say, I love you, Lord. I'm yours. We're married. But if the other six days you're out there hanging out with the world, he said, this is weird. I want you to come in every day and every night. I want to fellowship with you on a consistent basis. I want to be yours, and I want you to be mine. And I don't care how the world looks at it or how you may look at it. I am hers, and she is mine. And no one else gets her because we have covenant. That's just the way that it is, right? And God says, when you enter into covenant with me, I am yours and you are mine. And the world should not get you. Now listen, in the world that we live in, this is starting to make less and less sense. People get married and they think, well, I should be able to go out all week and it doesn't make any difference. It makes a difference. So when it says he yearns jealously, he's not going against the love that's in his heart. Where it says love is not jealous, it really, that really means it's not envious, right? But the Holy Spirit yearns and says, you're mine. Why do you keep giving yourself to this world that seeks to destroy you when I seek to lift you up, right? So he said, listen, if you get prideful and think that you don't need me, I'll resist you. But if you come unto me, I will give you power to overcome all the drawings of the world, I'll give you grace to do that. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. We're going to hit the young adults group right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's not the point of this. Verse 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Everybody say in due time. Verse 7, it says, Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be vigilant, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by the brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us by his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Even as we're talking about in between, he said there's some things going on that you think that you're suffering, but don't yield to what the enemy has. Resist 
him. As he starts to tell you, what are you doing? What are you going through all this for? I mean, just take the easy way out. As Tasha was saying today, just take the short journey to the promise. Come on, you could go this way if you wanted to go this way. Why are you going around this way? Because after a little while, he's going to strengthen and establish and, and perfect the things concerning you. God's work in a work. But what he needs you to do is not be prideful in who you are, not be prideful in your generation, not whether old or young, not be prideful about the things that you've accomplished and allow the enemy to destroy you. Isn't it funny how he, he, he connects pride and humility and the strategy of the devil to bring about destruction? So I just want to compare just a couple of things today. We have a little bit more, more time. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 11 for a moment. While you're turning there, Proverbs 16 verse 18 says that Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It always precedes that. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. So listen, what God wants for us is God wants faith to come. As we're living our life, and here's... The distinction that I want to make with us tonight is faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus is doing in us. And to understand what Jesus has done for us and what he's doing in us, that establishing, that strengthening, that maturing and perfecting takes place as to who we now are in Christ so that he can lift us up and make us known that Christ and his goodness in transforming our life, would be known. But it's not prideful, it's confidence in him. So he wants faith to come, but the enemy wants pride to come. He wants people to be drawn, he wants us to say, hey, everybody look at me, because if everybody's looking at me, eventually the enemy's going to pull the rug out and everybody's going to watch me fall. But if my foundation is Christ, it's a firm foundation, and I won't fall, he will hold me up. And if I fall, he will pick me back up. And so it's easy for the enemy to say, well, just come on, just have people look at you. But when they look at you, they'll see the flaws. When they look at you in Christ, they begin to see, yes, your flaws, but they see the transformation that's taking place, not of our own works, but of faith in Christ. So if we're, not faith, if we're not careful, and I believe that it in part, why Jesus said, take heed what you hear. In one place, and in another place, he said, take heed how you hear. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pride comes from hearing and hearing your own press. Right? Hearing and hearing about yourself. Come on, just, I want to hear some things about me. I want to hear some praise to me. I want to hear some good things about me. Now understand, we all need that appreciation. We need all that. But when that becomes what you need, unless somebody 
tells you about you, unless you can talk about you, unless you can let people know about you, right, I can't make it. Then there's something going on that I got to hear about myself to make it. And pride thrives on that. Come on, tell me about me. Tell me about me. But understand this is where pride really gets a little kooky. So when you read your own press, pride exists, good or bad. Sometimes pe- people think they're humble because they say, look at me. Look at me. I'm not qualified. Look at me. I can't do it. Look at me. I'm not worthy. Look at me. I'm not. No, that's still your own press. It's just running you the wrong direction. We think pride is just look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my greatness. Look at who I am. But pride in that says, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Pride in the other place says, I don't deserve, I don't deserve, I don't deserve. But both of those end up on what you deserve or what you don't deserve, which is all tied to works. But thank God over here, when we live with a humility before God, it's not what we deserve, but it's grace. And it sounds subtle, but it really gets to working. And if we listen to ourselves and we watch what we hear and we're hearing and we want to hear, we want to hear what God said about us. We want to hear what Jesus did. We want to hear what God's doing and what he's doing in the earth. More than we want to hear about ourselves, we're going to humble ourselves. Really, is all we have to talk about is God? I mean, that's just really, can't we just talk about us? There's something working. I mean, we don't, I mean, we we can talk about the things that we're doing, enjoying life together. But you have to watch yourself when it disgusts you when people just want to talk about God. We talk about God in church. Can't we just leave it in church? All right, that didn't go over big. All right, we'll keep moving. Come on, I understand. We don't want to get so hyper-spiritual that everywhere we just, we're, we're like strange about how we got to talk about it. But in our life, God's doing good things in our life. If all of a sudden you get, you know, if John and I are talking and John's like, man, I'm just feeling so great about what's going on. I believe God's leading me and, and God's putting a blessing. I'm like, you know, does it have to be God, dude? Why can't it just be, you know? Something's not right there. He should be able to recognize that God's doing something good in his life. Right? We don't have to just preach to each other and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But when we get to the point of like, you know what? Church is where we talk about God and everywhere else. Let's just forget about it. We have to watch. Because what is it that we want to hear? The enemy knows the access to our heart. One of the accesses to our heart is what we hear. And when we hear, all we're hearing is about ourselves, good or bad. Right? When you hear it, and even your self-talk is about how bad you are, you have to be aware of pride. You think pride isn't there. That is pride. It's just about me, the situation that I'm in. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm, 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 I'm. That's still pride. But when we understand Jesus took everything about me, good or bad, and he brought it into him, That in him, everything that I am and everything that I have exists and consists. Now he's able to do something with us that we could never do with ourselves. He's able to position us in places that if we positioned ourselves there, 
we would end up making a mess of it. But because we humble ourselves, he positions us there. And it makes all the difference in the world. All right, so just a couple of things, just a couple of, of thoughts about this. Pride always chooses, we talked about this, pride always chooses its own desires. Humility wants what God desires. James chapter 1, we're led away by our own desires and we're enticed. We want to say that God is tempting us. See, that's always it too. We always want to say it's somebody else's fault when pride produces it. But we're led away by our own desires and entice. When our desire is birth, it gives place to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death or separates us from God. Psalms 34 says, the one who delights himself in the Lord, the Lord gives him the desires of his heart. If we understood the fullness of that, we would rather have God's desires become our desires than our desires be fulfilled. Because God desires for us far more than we even have even comprehended yet. Religion steals that from us. But God says, I want you to come far past the religious thinking about what you have to do. I want you to look far more at what I'm doing in you and through you. Second thing, pride seeks credit. Humility acknowledges the true source. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Certainly we can find these things all through Scripture. So I'm just going to share one. You can begin to look into these things a little bit deeper. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 11. He says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, have built, have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, which means when your cars and your toys and your bank accounts grow. Your silver and your gold are multiplied. 401ks, retirement, savings, multiplied. And when your heart is lifted up, I have arrived, you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to the land, uh, out, brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water forth for you out of the flinty rock. So when we read it, we're like, man, they were thirsty. He had to bring it out of a rock. Listen, they were thirsty, and if God wouldn't have got water out of a rock, they would have died. Right? We think about, hmm, this seems strange. God was still providing for every single thing they had need of. He's like, listen, when you get over there, you, 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 start, you start to not realize when you're prospering, when you're doing good, when now, you know, when I could never take a vacation so I was in church, now I can take a vacation, it doesn't matter that I'm in church. Right? I got this. He said, remember the days... When you didn't got this. And how did you get to the point that you got this? He said, it's too easy, it's too subtle to forget. He said, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, 
which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do you good in the end. I love that. You should highlight that and underline that. When you're going through something, in the in-between, God's always looking to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And he goes on to say some things about forgetting him. But he says, listen, you walk through all this stuff, you cry out, your relatives murmured and complained, and he's just warning the next generation. He said, listen, they died in the wilderness. You're going to go in, and you're going to be blessed in the promised land. But the moment you get blessed in the promised land and say, look what I've done, look at my prosperity, look at my wealth, and you forget the Lord your God, this stuff is going to be short-lived. But if you remember the Lord your God, that he was the one that empowered you to be where you are. He was the one that put you in this land. You have to understand that what he established there is he planned on bringing them all in, winning all the battles, establishing them, and Israel being a nation that every single nation looked at because of their God. But he said that will be impossible to fulfill if you keep getting your eyes off of me and onto yourself. Because the world, the Philistines, the giants, the prosperous ones, the Egyptians, they look at you and say, without God, we will come and we will take your houses and we will take your lands and we will take your money. But if God did this for you, you have protection from the God of gods. Nastasha said today, the Egyptians already knew. He was the God of all their gods. He proved it. But their pride, he was already warning them, watch once you get comfortable that your pride rises and wants to take credit for where you are. Humility says... I recognize the source of all things. I wouldn't be here except for the grace of God. I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done except for the grace of God. His hand has been upon me. And even though it seems like we've gone through dry places, at times I thought I was abandoned. I found out I never was abandoned. I, uh, when I thought I was starving, I found out, oh, I didn't really starve. When I thought I was going to thirst to death, I found out he brought water from a rock. I never actually really thirsted, right? Their opinion of what was going on in the wilderness got so distorted. We're out here. We're forsaken. It'd be better in Egypt. And they failed to realize that they never did hunger. They never did thirst. Their clothes never did wear out. God protected them in every situation. They had it pretty darn good. just all the flash and the fluff. I mean, when you want to go back to the masters that you were crying out to God so desperately to be delivered from, and you have provision, just the surrounding circumstances have changed so drastically that you say, I'd rather be beaten in Egypt to eat fish than to serve God in the wilderness and have to eat manna. 
How weird is that? Not that weird if we look at our own life. (laughs) He's just saying, use that for an example. You might not be in the wilderness with manna, but you might be in your own wilderness wondering how God's going to take care of you. But he's going to do you good in the end. Philippians chapter 4. We know this. We can probably move through this uh, this scripture, um, but Paul really is talking about the humility of his heart. To understand that Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and really as he goes through it, he he lay, lines out to them. Listen, if we want to talk about where we've been, I'll just tell you where I've been. I've studied all my life. I am a doctor. I am a lawyer. I am a religious leader. I have reached the highest of the pinnacle of every study that I have studied. He said, I've come from that to this, thanking you for sending money to me when I was in need. Listen, Paul, when he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, a doctor of the law, he did not want for anything. And he's transitioned, and he said, There's been times that I've wanted. He said, but I've lived at the pinnacle of the world. And he said, and I've lived feeling like I'm at the bottom, but I've found my contentment in Christ. And I know and will recognize this, that my God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said, I've recognized that I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in Philippians 4, 19, he's thanking them and he's declaring to them, my God will supply all of your needs. But he's just prior to that said, listen, I've learned in everything, in whatever state I'm in, to be content because I can do all things through Christ. He's acknowledging the source of every success that he'll ever have because he's humbled his heart, not in who he became and who he made himself to be, but now who Christ has called him to be. The humble heart always recognizes the source and doesn't desire to take credit. Number three, pride wants the promises. Humility wants the presence. Pride wants the promises. Humility wants the presence. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20. When you understand a little bit about this, certainly there's all kinds of different things going on with the children of Israel. But God said, come, tell the people to consecrate themselves. Tell the people to get ready. I want to come visit the people. What God wanted desperately is fellowship with his people. And here were the people, when they heard God was coming, because when God came, it was pretty spectacular. Listen to this, verse 18. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the uh, mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled, and they stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let God speak with us. Uh, don't let God speak with us, lest we die. 
And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you that, he, that uh, his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off. It goes on. Listen, they said, really, in essence, they said, listen, if God wants to speak to us and tell us how he's going to treat us and the promises that he's going to give us, Moses, you go find out what God wants us to do and how God wants to sanctify us and how God wants to bless us and how God wants to lead us. You go find out, and then you come tell us. We want to know what God wants to do, but we don't want God. God said, I want you I don't want you to be afraid of me, even though he says it's the fear of the Lord. He says, I want you to know who I am, that you'd reverence and respect me. And when you actually really know who I am, you won't sin. Not because you're afraid I'm going to crack you over the head, but when you know how much I really love you, when you really know me as the God that I am, you won't really want to sin. But they said, we'd rather stand off and just have you tell us what you want to do with us than know you. And pride will get you to do that. God, could you just bless me? I don't want to take that much time. If I could just walk in the blessings of God, we see that right now. If God promised that, why doesn't it just happen? Why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to spend time with God? Why can't I just go to church uh, every now and then and get these things? Why can't I just cry out to God and have him answer? Because God would rather have us know him than just set our eyes on all the things that he has for us He wants us to know him. Moses humbled his heart. Turn over to Exodus chapter 33. They've had some things with God, and God's ready to give them the promise. He said, then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. And you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land that flows with milk and honey. And then he said, but I'm not going to go with you. He said, listen, I've got the promises for you. Go up and take the promises and do that. Now listen, go to verse uh, 13. Sometimes we're like, God, if you just come through, sometimes we'd say, man, if you're going to send an angel with me, I'm good to go. But God has said, I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to go with you, Moses. Take the people. People got shook up because God's not going to go. God's a little angry with them at the time. But he says, I'm going to fulfill my promises. You don't care if you're with me or not. I mean, God's really just saying, all you want is the promise anyway. You're not serving me. You're stiff-necked, so I'll take you into the promise, but I'm not going. But here's the humble heart of Moses. Some people would say, all right, well, let's just go. He's sending an angel. God wants us to go. He promised. Let's just go. But Moses had this humble heart knowing the difference between just having God's promises and having God's presence. So verse 13, he says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, 
Do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Listen, you can have all the promises that God ever promised you. But what distinguishes you and I from people who are lost is the presence of God. The presence of God. If we just want the things that God has to offer, listen, the world just compares that. We're like, whoo, God blessed me with a new car. They drive up a week later. Whoo, my job blessed me with a new car. Whoo, God blessed me with health. They just come up and say, man, I went to the doctor. I got a new lease on life. Then we could go back and forth in that comparison. We know, I mean, it doesn't take away from praise God. He helped me. He blessed me. He sanctified me. But what is the difference? Christ is in us, the hope of glory. It's the presence that makes the difference. We're not looking to say, hey, people, look at me. God's blessed me. We're walking around where people start to recognize there's something different coming from you. And it's the thing that I'm looking for. Where have you been? I've been with Jesus. Not just asking him for things. I've been with Jesus. Wait a minute. I'm my work schedule. Right? Pride creeps in subtly. I don't have time to spend with him. I just don't have time to spend with him. Pride creeps in. We don't think of that as pride. We think that's just, I can't help it. I'm too busy. He says, you've set your own schedule then. But if you'll take time to get in my presence, what my grace will do for your schedule will be amazing. All right, last thing. Pride always thinks more of itself. Humility always thinks about others. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. We're just going to get into verse 1 and then move on down. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace that is given to me to everyone who is among you, listen to this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what does he say? You have to be careful, even in the body of Christ, of thinking more of yourself than you ought to think of me thinking more of myself than I ought to think. He says you have to think soberly because we're all in this one body and everything that he has done and is doing in you will affect you, but he's really working in you for the benefit of someone else. And it takes that humility. 
And so when we get to this understanding, and again, I'm not trying to, to take away because, again, faith brings us to a, an understanding, but if we're not careful, we move out of faith and into pride. We start listening less about what God has done and hearing more about because God did that, now we'll look at what I'm doing. And we begin to look and we begin to say this, if we're not careful, that we begin to, to look at now our giftings. And so he says, now having gifts differing according to what? The grace that is given to us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. And so many times when we start to prophesy or we begin to proclaim, we look to say, my gift is prophecy. I'm a prophet. But prophecy is not for the prophet. Prophecy is for the people. We just have to understand that. He goes on, or ministry or serving Let's use it in ministry, right? Look at me. I'm such a servant. Well, the servant, the ministry grace wasn't to make you such a minister. It was to serve others. He who teaches, boy, look at me. I'm a great teacher. It's to bring understanding to those that you teach. He exhorts is about others. He who gives is about others. He who leads is to lead others, right? Every one of these, we could look and say, this is my gift. Look at me. And pride will move you over to get everybody to look at your gift, but our gift is for people. And God takes that and develops the gift. I believe that's really why when we understand the gift makes room for itself. That instead of we keep looking for people to recognize I have a gift, we humble ourselves and allow God to develop the gift. And the gift begins to minister to people and makes a room that all of a sudden God says there's influence there and people are drawn to the influence rather than the person. So as we, as a church, continue to seek out and to look at what do we do, God, right? Because it could be magic. Bucky and I were talking in the office this morning about, uh, uh, you know, things that have been said about 2020 and really even some leaders in our nation, uh, some things that have been prophesied about some leaders that we expect to be there may not be there. And things like that. And I just said, you know, there, there's one thing we listen as a church and according to the great nation that we live in, you know, we listen and somebody prophesies that maybe some leaders going and we get it in our mind and some of it is spoken directly, but we think, okay, God's just going to do that. He's just going to take somebody out. Well, just listen, how does God do things in the earth? Through his body. So what's he saying is he's saying, listen, I want the proper people in and I want, I want things to move and shake, but it's going to take my body to do what's right. And I won't get political very often, but I will right now because I just feel led to, to exhort you that in November, understand this, the election of our leading officials has nothing to do with personality. Don't make the mistake of voting on how you feel about somebody's personality and say it's okay to kill babies. 
I'm just telling you. The devil's throwing a smoke screen to say, listen, we're going to get personalities into this whole thing and see what you like, what makes you feel good, and what doesn't. It's time to look and say, listen, we are a nation that believes in God and we believe in life, right? And there's maybe a, a few other things that you just think you know, but there's some very specific things that if you vote, they have to do with the word of God moving forward. And if you vote the other way, they totally go against the word of God. And you've got to clear out the smoke screen. And I know I'm going to get some press on this. Some people are going to say, oh, you just told everybody who you were for. You don't know who I'm for. I'm looking at the issues to vote with the best. Everything on there that you're going to vote for is not in the word of God. But there are some specific things that go with this that we have to be careful of. Right? And no matter what you've heard in prophecy, well, God's going to do it. Listen, we have to listen to God. And the reason I brought that up is because you can hear something prophesied, but then you have to respond in kind. And so when God has spoken to us as a church that he's designed for us to train leaders and he's designed for our roots to go deep so that we can have an influence. We can say, woohoo, God prophesied it, let's see it happen. Or we can begin to humble our hearts and know that God wants our branches to go out, our roots to go deep. He wants us to be a place that people can come and receive training. But it's not about us. And if we get our focus off and just say, whoo God wants to do something. But what are we going to do to be that place? I'm just telling you, it's going to take us humbling ourselves, allowing God to do what God wants to do, and watch what God does in lifting the church, not what we try to do to make it recognizable. And the quandary will become when God starts to lift it up to go, oh, no, God, that we don't want pride, but to know that it's faith in God that's bringing us up, not our pushing it forward. I believe with all of my heart that God's word to us is true, but I also believe with all of my heart that if we try to pick it up and make it happen, or we just sit back and say God's going to do it all by himself, we'll miss it. We need to say, if that's what you have for us, and that's what you have for me to be more influential, then I won't look to myself, but God, I will look to you. And God is going to do some, some amazing, amazing stuff. Amen? How many of you believe that? Why don't you stand up with me? Father, I thank you. As each one.